we're in our campaign called Release, and if you haven't seen by now, each sermon represents one of the weeks that's in our campaign packet, and the campaign is just is a large thing about raising money for redoing our, our patio area and the bathrooms and all this kind of stuff, but it's more than that. It's really kind of positioning our church for its next step, its next season of ministry, and uh, as long as the Lord keeps me here, we'll just keep plugging out plugging away at it. I'm trying to reach Garden Grove and the surrounding cities for Christ and to uh, restore lives to healthy relationship with the Son and to respond to a move of God's Spirit. And so the first week we talked about dreaming and we were wanting God to release dreams uh, among His people. We wanted you to begin to dream about your own life and what would it look like if you uh, were in the Word more, if you prayed more, if you're a better husband, better wife, better son, better daughter. And we so we have the bands for praying and we have devotionals and all that kind of stuff. And then we talked about leaving a legacy and that we wanted to release this spirit of understanding that we're only here for a short time. That all we have is God's and that we leave, whatever we leave, we leave for, as Bob pointed out last week, our church, but just younger. They're just going to be stepping into this. And then we talked about stewardship and we talked about the fact that everything we have comes from God. And we talked about tithing. And so um, if you have friends, I, I talked about this first service a little bit. If you have friends who think the church is all about money, I would suggest that you point them to our website and have them listen to last week's sermon. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go online and check out the sermon. You can either podcast it or you can go online and listen to it. But it was, uh, um, again, it's not that I'm that great a preacher, but I think we addressed pretty clearly what's up with the tithe? What's up with giving? Why, why, is, why does the church talk about money quite a bit and how that all plays out? And so if you have a, a friend who's a skeptic, and they, they have them listen to that and have them send me an email or whatever, we'll open up a, a dialogue. And then specifically for this week, um, as we go through and as God kind of unfolds this story that I'm going to be sharing out of the Bible, um, you might have a friend who's going through some pretty difficult things right now. Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe they do. You might want to point them to this one too. Uh, again, not that it's that great on me, but um, I think God has shared with me this week some really, really important truths that are going to help some other people. So for those of you who already listen online and check out the podcast, we welcome you as well. Uh, so Jesus right now, where we're going to catch this story, Jesus is like at the height of his ministry. If, if you saw Jesus as a king riding in to kind of save the day and get rid of Rome, these were good days for you as a follower of Christ. If you were hoping that Jesus could rally a bunch of people together, maybe like a mob mentality, and go in and storm and kind of get rid of the Romans, this was a great day. If you, you know, we're in election year right now and... Um, you know, if you're involved politically, you love to hear bad news about the opposition. Well, you know, you love to hear that, you know, somebody made a big mistake and stuck their foot in their mouth and you're like, yeah, now everyone will know what I know. And you love hearing great things about your candidate. And if the polls show your candidate grabbed a couple, you know, things, you're super happy. And if, if they lost, you're sad. And so this is where Jesus is right now. It's, it's like you'd be in election week and... He's just jamming. If you were on Jesus's campaign, you're in your office just high-fiving. Everybody's high-fiving each other. Like, Jesus is on a roll. This is it. We picked the right side, you know, Jesus, which, you know, it's Jesus. You can 
kind of figure. So I, 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 for the fun of it, I just put this thing. If, if, if there was a newspaper back then, it would say, Poll show Jesus in commanding lead. I mean, Jesus is, is working. He's working the campaign perfectly. I, I put some other ones on here as well. Uh, John the Map- Baptist murdered by opposition party. You know, Herod, Herod killed Jesus' cousin. And you're thinking to yourself, man, they killed his cousin. He's going to go off. We got all these people, all this kind of stuff. He, it says uh, 12,000 people fed, disciples hopeful. You know, it's like um, uh, all, all these people got a free meal. They just with their little ticket and they're all ready to go. And so now everyone loves them. Uh, Jesus plays down popularity, you know, to show that he's really a man, a real man of the people and doesn't make a big deal out. And then my favorite I did here is uh, Herod demands to see Jesus' birth certificate. Uh, so, so whatever, whichever one you're on there, you can... I thought I'd either offend everyone with that one or just, uh, I don't know, whatever, wherever, wherever you're at. But this is where Jesus is in, in his ministry. I mean, this would be the time Jesus kicks off his DVD series. If he's a pastor and he wants to build a mega church, this is, that now is the time, how to, how to build a church or how to, you know, or, you know, you know, raising people from the dead, you know, my memoirs. And Jesus is like all stoked and he got his thing, he's got a pipe or whatever probably not a pipe. Okay. Um, But this is the thing. And so what Jesus does is he he feeds the 5,000. He's super popular. Everyone's just like, this is awesome. There's no doubt a miracle happened. It's it's like the news of this event is going to completely spread all over Palestine. I mean, it's, this is a huge, huge deal. And so what Jesus does next makes no sense at all for the coming of the kingdom of God. If your kingdom is a land flowing with milk and honey, God's people with God, and God is our God, that's the thing. This is not what you do. It would be like someone walking into the campaign headquarters and going, look, we're up in the polls. Everything's going great. I'm going to take a vacation. Like, no, we're, now is the time to go for the throat, to, to really go after it. And just before this, like I mentioned before, by the way, Jesus, they killed your cousin. Like, now's the time. And I think what we're going to see as we kind of see this story unfold, that Jesus is operating in an entirely different kingdom, an entirely different time frame than the disciples or anyone else. And here's, here's what he says. Immediately, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. They're cleaning everything up. They got their baskets full and all this kind of stuff. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples. He commanded the disciples to get into the boat And to go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. Terrible timing. It would be better if you were one of his advisors or speechwriters, if he were to keep, you know, a lot of bit of the crowd around so that when they walk around, you kind of see, wow, who's this guy Jesus? How come he's so popular? All this kind of stuff. The disciples, if you think about it, Every time they go to Jesus, Jesus would give them more fish and loaves and all this kind of stuff. And so they're out among all these people with these baskets serving them. They're probably tired. They just had dinner. And now they got to go get in a boat. Now, now again, for us, we have to think in those terms. They got to undo the boat. It wasn't just like, it wasn't a party boat with the pontoons on the side and they were just going to cruise across the sea. Uh, You know, this was a serious boat. You had it. 
smelled like a boat. It was a boat. You either had to get there by wind or by rowing or however they were doing it. And so to say at night, hey, you go on over there. I'll meet you over there and dismiss the crowds. It's, it's bad on a multiple number of levels. I wonder if Jesus knew that. That's probably what you're thinking as a disciple. Like, come, oh, man, we were so close. We, we had, everything was going so good. So he, he puts him in there. He says, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to, by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. As I was reading the section of scripture, I, I, I love looking at the scripture maybe a little differently and thinking, what does Jesus pray for? Like, he's Jesus. Like, I looked at what I prayed for, and then I look at what Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Like, he can't pray for healing for somebody because he just healed them, right? You know, he doesn't, like, meet somebody, hear their story, and go, oh, man, I'll, I'll be praying for you. You know, for your leg, sorry, he just touches the leg, and there you go, you're, you're off. So it's not like he spends a bunch of time praying for sick people, he just heals them. He's not praying for a promotion. He's not praying for his heavenly father to supply any of his needs. He's not praying for retirement. He's not praying for his kid's college fund. He's not praying, he's Jesus. So I, I thought, what does Jesus do while he's praying? You know, hey, me, <laughs> I mean, it's the Trinity, and it's all weird, and how does that work? So I just looked at some prayers that Jesus prayed to try and see what does Jesus normally pray for. And a couple themes come to mind. One of the things he prays for is the kingdom. He prays for the kingdom to come, for his heavenly Father's will to be done. He prays for the kingdom. He prays for, for uh, this idea that he knows he's a big part of this. And so maybe he prays to his heavenly Father, look, while I'm, in, while I'm limited in this physical body, help me to make the right decision and not to say he doesn't confess anything. He has nothing to confess, which is most of my prayer life, confessing something. He doesn't do that. I just started looking at some other prayers. You know, the vast bulk of what he prays for, if you were to just take the prayers in the Bible, you and I. He intercedes on our behalf. In John chapter 17, he talks all about, keep them from the evil one. You know, help, them, help them to love each other. Like, like, help them to be in, uh, like in you as I'm in you and you and me and help them to love each other and, and help those who hear the message from there, help the people after that, which is again us. And here's what I believe as we kind of delve into this story. I think Jesus was alone with his heavenly father, communing with his heavenly father, praying and interceding on behalf of the disciples. You say, well, how, how do you know that? I remember in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, uh, hey, Jesus, this whole thing about you dying, that's not cool, man. That's, that's not, I don't, we're not gonna, it's not gonna go down that way. Remember what Jesus says? He says, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But I just slap Satan upside. That, no. I've prayed for you. I should not lose your faith. Think of the theology of that. Jesus prays for Peter that his faith would remain strong. I think Jesus is interceding on that mountain because he knows what's coming. He knows that this is how the kingdom of God is going to come. So he's up there by himself. Now watch what happens. While he's there, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
That word buffeted means to be tortured. This boat is being tortured by the waves. It's just like slamming, 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 and the wind is going against them. Now, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see this beautiful picture of 11 guys. This is it. This is the church. This is Jesus' plan. It didn't have anything to do with the crowds. The crowds had the crowd. That whole thing was for something else. These guys are it. And they're getting slammed right now in the middle of a sea. And Jesus is up there praying. You know, as you read scripture, and one of the images we have is Christ seated at the throne at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, as doing his high priestly service. He's our, he's, he's our, he's, takes our place. And you think about those guys in that, in the darkness on the boat and it's getting slammed and they're going the, the, right into the wind and Jesus is up on the mountain alone praying. Communion with his heavenly father. Now he, here's why I love this so much. You might be right there right now. See, the, the thing about this, the disciples were only being obedient. Like, sometimes when we find ourselves in a storm, it's because we got ourselves there. And we've all been there, right? Like, we've all been there where we did something we knew we weren't supposed to do. We, we went to that party. We went to that club. We got involved with these friends. We put the keys in the ignition. Like we knew we weren't supposed to do it, but we did it anyway. And so now we're in that storm. And those kind of make sense to us because we go, well, yeah, that's what happens when you, you know, smoke that or do that or whatever. I mean, that's just what happens. And you look and all the people around you go, that's what happens. Yeah, that's how you get pregnant. Right? I mean, everyone knows kind of, they, they can look at your life and go, yeah, well, hey, and you can look at your own life. But what happens when you're in the boat and you're constantly getting slammed and you didn't do anything but obey? All you did, you know, can you imagine him in the boat, in the middle of the sea going, he said, get in the boat, right? I mean, it wasn't don't get in the boat. We've had that happen to us. Don't get in the boat. Don't get in the boat. Don't get in the boat. And we sit there like, ah, it looks nice out. Nope, there's going to be a storm coming up. Don't do it. Oh, uh, who are you to judge me? It's a new boat. I love boats. I'm really good with boats. Whatever. It wasn't like this. Jesus says, get in the boat. I want you to go over there. I'll meet you. And now they're in the middle of it. What is that all about? It says they were out there for hours with the wind just pushing against them, pushing against them, and it's wave after wave, and that might be where you are right now. So you just feel like, man, I, I haven't done anything, and yet, parking ticket, pink slip, mother calls and says you were adopted. What, I mean, whatever. Doesn't it, don't you, haven't you had those times in your life where you just feel like it's, it's like you get the mail, and you look at it, and you feel like looking up at God going, are you kidding me? Like, really? How many waves are you going to send? And really the question is, where is God? 
in all of this. I haven't done anything wrong. And sometimes you start thinking in the back of your mind, well, well you know, man, why, why am I going through this? Well, I better shape up. <laughs> I remember, you know, it's been um, eight months now since Jesse's had a seizure. And so we, we've just been praising God during this whole time. But I remember one night uh, when they were coming at a pretty consistent rate, they, and they typically came on Saturday night uh, before I preached would be almost a, just a, you know, just a consistent one. And I remember one night I woke up with him having a seizure. And I remember like saying to the Lord, okay, okay, whatever it is, okay. And, it, they, and they just kept, coming and I just felt like man why are you doing this to me I think what we see in this picture of what's going on is what's going on with these guys the kingdom of God was in a boat on the sea in a storm the kingdom of God was there they were all waiting for the kingdom of God to show up it was there and I wonder if as we go through our trials, stuff we never did anything, we lost our job, we lost our house, we, we didn't do it, we didn't cheat anybody, we didn't steal anything, it's just, it's happening. I wonder if this gives us any indication of how do we see the kingdom of God in the middle of that. So watch what happens. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I love this because it just... Matthew just writes it. He, he doesn't explain, like, he doesn't explain, like, and in those days, you couldn't walk on water. Like, he just says it. Like, like, imagine I'm telling you a story, and I'm like, oh, and so, yeah, Lisa and I were, we went out to dinner, and we had a really nice dinner, and, uh, and then we got into the parking lot, and Lisa sp- spread r- wings and just flew away. And so then I went home, and you'd be like, wait, 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 go back to the wings part, and she flew away? We knew she was an angel, but we didn't really think she had wings. You know, it's like, come on, what's going on? Like, Matthew is just writing away, or however he did it, or telling somebody to write away. Shortly before dawn, he puts it at a specific spot, at a specific time, and then he just casually goes, oh yeah, Jesus came walking on the water. And I was looking at that, and I'm going, he's walking on the lake with, with like no, he doesn't give you any more information. And so I caught myself this week trying to figure out like, okay, how, what did it look like? And so I honestly, I was in my office going like this, like, did he, was it like he that got solid right there? Or did, did it like become like a pathway of rocks, you know, or like, what did it look like? Were there still waves? And Jesus, like, running up the wave and running down the wave. Or he, like, runs up and, you know, is he like a, you know, I, I, what's, what's Jesus doing? Like, how, how did it work out? Matthew doesn't tell us anything. Just, yeah, here comes Jesus. And here's the thing that just freaked me out about the whole thing. And just what I think God has for us this morning. Jesus wasn't just in the storm he came in on the storm. Like, like, like the storm was his pathway to the disciples. The, the, the storm, he just, like the storm was almost irrelevant. I mean, the, the fact that there were waves, the fact that there was wind or whatever, Jesus kind of like rode in on the storm. Like, hey, how's it going? And maybe for Jesus, 
the storm isn't quite to him what it is to us. Maybe what God wants to teach us through this story is that we're looking at the storm all wrong. We just want it to end, and don't get me wrong, I get that. I, I know. And, and for some of us, I know, I mean, I know most of your guys' story. And for some of you, even as I look at, out, you're in a spot right now where you're, I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I, I'm not trying to say, oh, you need to look at the storm you know, differently. Psh, oh, yeah, wow. Well, here, Jesus, let's get him. You know? It's like, I, I get that. But maybe Jesus is trying to say, look, this might be the vehicle by which I do something extraordinary in your life. And so he, he, he walks in. He uses it as, as a footpath to these guys. And it's just so matter of fact. It's annoying. Matthew's annoying. I didn't say that, Jesus. So watch this. This is so cool. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Huh. Right? And they, cry, they, they said, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You know what's interesting? When Jesus shows up, when you're in the midst of a storm and Jesus shows up, even that can be terrifying. Like, you know, maybe it looks like this. You know, you're going through this and you're going through this and it's just wave after wave after wave and the wind and all this kind of stuff and you get a glimmer of hope. Maybe you get a job interview or maybe you're single and you've just been going without a, a, a partner for all this time and you, you finally, it's like you meet somebody. It's almost terrifying and you'll hear it said this way. I just don't want my heart broke again. Like when Jesus does show up, when there's that hope, it's almost kind of scary to put your trust in it. And so I can, I can hear him kind of saying, it's a ghost. Like it, Because it, what if we believe it's Jesus and it's not? And so Peter's just like, it, it's a ghost. And, and then Jesus says this thing that's just so awesome. And, and when we show it, you know, as you kind of have your notes that you're writing down or whatever, maybe this is the only notes you want to do is you want to copy down this verse I'm going to show in a little bit. And maybe you want to put it on your fridge or you want to put it at your work or put it in your car. Or maybe this is the verse you memorized this week. Because I, I, I honestly believe that as you're going through those things, those storms where you didn't do anything, you just... All of a sudden, they just said, it's not working out. You're gone. Or I just don't think our marriage is going to work. And you're like, what in the world? Or whatever it is. That these are the same words that Jesus had for that, those particular people. He's got for you this morning. And so you might want to just copy it down. And, you know, and again, for those who listen online and they're, they're not here at church, you know, this might be the thing that you put in your car. You put in your your cubicle. Immediately, Jesus said to him, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you look at it that way, when you look at Jesus just kind of loving his disciples, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. I just want to be clear. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're going into this season or you're in the middle of the season or whatever you do not need to be afraid you lost your job it's hard i get it but you don't need to be afraid 
You wonder how you're going to retire? You don't need to be afraid. Your kid's acting all crazy. You don't need to be afraid. Take courage. Christ is there. And I think that the struggle is when Christ isn't on the water and he's up in the mountain interceding for us, we think he's not there or he doesn't care. And what I think God wants to tell us this morning is whether he's right there on the boat, whether he's walking on the water, whether he's, uh, he's there, he knows, he loves us. When you look in Exodus, uh, I think it's chapter 3, God says, look, I, I see my people. I've heard their cry and I'm coming to get them now. And you read that and you think, yeah, Jesus, God took them out of, out of Egypt. And then when you look at history and you see how long they were there, you're like, you know, you could have come uh, maybe a hundred years earlier, you know, whatever. In his own timing, he knows, he cares, and there's no reason to be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So Peter says this. If it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Man, that's incredible. To go from ghost to I'll walk out on the water. I mean, it's a ridiculous statement if you think it's a ghost because ghosts, as we know, as we've seen in the movies, are evil. And so you wouldn't want a ghost telling you to come because then you'd die and the ghost would be like, ha-ha, I was a ghost and I tricked you. Peter knew it was Jesus. He did. He just... He just knew it was Jesus. He just wanted to hear the words. Come. This is what Jesus says. Come. And Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water toward Jesus. Can you imagine that? Now here's the thing. How do you go from wave after wave after wave to stepping out of that boat and walking on the water? It can't be on our own strength. It has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus and just that trust and knowing he's got us. And that even though we've gone through it and we're, you know, we're in, our, in our whatever month of, of, of kind of moving forward in life, and we, you know, because we, the, 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 the thing is that happens to us oftentimes is we think, when I turn my life around and I, I start to make the right decisions, that the storms will go away. And God doesn't promise that. We use our obedience like a good luck charm, like, man, once we, once we do the right thing, then this will stop, or this won't happen. And Jesus, unfortunately, promises the exact opposite. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Those storms you're facing, yeah, they're real. But God might be doing something way, way deeper in your faith that you ever thought possible as you fix your eyes on him. And maybe from this part of your life, whatever it is, you end up to where you can walk on water. As long as Jesus says to do it. <laughs> I wanted to make that clear just so in case I don't get sued. Dear Pastor John, you said, right? But when he saw, oh, here's, I had this picture up here I wanted you to see of this guy walking on water, but really he's just about to get gored by that bull. But it looks like he's walking on water, right? You can walk on water for a little while. You ever try that at your pool where you run as fast as you can and you, like, you try to walk and it doesn't work? Anyway, back to the scriptures. All right. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now listen, I don't think Jesus was berating Peter. I don't think Jesus was upset at Peter for not being able to, you know, run four laps around the Sea of Galilee on the water going, yay, I can do this now. You know what this shows me? That faith, building faith is a process. And, and maybe these trials and maybe these things are just one step, one step, one step, one step. You think about Peter's life. Do you remember the first time he was in the boat when there was a storm and Jesus was sleeping in the back? And they're like, oh, we're going to die. Lord, save us. And they're freaking all out and all this kind of stuff. Now they're in the storm and Peter's stepping out on the water. What would Peter's life look like in the third storm? You know, is he, is he out like walking alongside the boat, you know, fixing it from the side? Like, well, what does Peter's faith look like? This process of building. But aren't you like me where you just want the faith now without, like, I don't want any trials. I don't want anything. I just want a lot of faith. You just don't build faith that way. That's not the way it happens. Faith is built as you think, man, there's nothing I can do. I'm out of options. And you look over and you go, could that be Jesus? Could that be him, really? Walking on the water just like it's no big deal? Okay, God, if it is, I want that kind of faith. And so Jesus comes to Peter and he says, you have little faith. Now, the reason I know he's not berating Peter because if he's going to berate anybody, go for the guys in the boat who didn't do anything. You know, if it were me, I would go, Peter, dude, great job. Hey, you guys, you 11, this is what I'm talking about. At least he tried, you know. He has little faith. You got no faith. You have no faith, right? Here's the thing I think Jesus is trying to tell Peter, and this is what I think God's trying to ask us. Answer the question. Why did you doubt? Now, this Greek word doubt here, all throughout the New Testament, there's another word used for doubt. You know, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the winds, expect him to receive nothing from God. Like that, there's that doubt. This is a different doubt. This means to change your mind. It means to, literally, it means to duplicate. It means to, to go, you know, I was going to do this, but now I'm going to do this. And so it's like, midstream, Peter's walking out on the water, and somewhere between boat and Jesus, he goes, I don't think this was a good idea. I don't think this is working out the way I thought. I was really, like, the first step was awesome, because I could reach back and just jump in the boat, but when I get to here, Jesus is there, the boat's there, everything, nothing's changed. Jesus, you were going to calm the waters, dude. That was my plan. Waters aren't calm. We're still in the storm. And so we begin to shrink. And that's where the enemy wants to get you. Because you're going, okay, I'm going to take. And we, this happens to us all the time when someone gets baptized. They take this step. They're, 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 like, they're like, I'm making my faith known. I'm taking it seriously. I'm going. And and they get baptized, and the storms don't stop, and they think to themselves, I don't know if that was such a good idea. I just told all my friends I wasn't going to hang out with them anymore. Now I got nobody. And Jesus wants us to answer the question, why are you changing your mind? And the answer is, I don't trust you, and I'm uncomfortable. 
Jesus reaches his hand out. Man, I think to myself, you know, we, we think about Peter sinking and we think, I, gotta, I, gotta, I love this picture. I got this. It's an older picture like you'd see like from the 70s in somebody's house, you know, like one of those water things. But it just to me is so, I mean, you can still see the swelling of the waves and, and Jesus is just like standing on the water. Like he rides in on the storm. Like the storm is nothing to him. He just cares about Peter. Hey, you're going in obedience. I told you to get in the boat. Why did you doubt? Why did you stop? Don't stop. Keep going. I'm right here. And he grabs him. I just, I just love that. I don't, you know, Jesus' hair probably didn't look like that and didn't wear a white robe like he was a cult leader, but it's cool. He's got Peter by the hand. I love that picture. Now watch what happens. This is the outcome of it. When they climbed in the boat, the winds died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Why weren't they saying this when Jesus made the fish and the loaves and fed all those people? Why wouldn't they just say, hey, and the guy just fed 5,000 people. Truly, you're the son of God. No, it took a trial. It took a time when they thought, man, this is way, way, way serious. And then Jesus shows up and they go, wow. It's amazing. The bread wasn't enough. I want to show you how far Peter came. As David comes back up, Peter ended up writing some, some books called Peter. <laughs> we, we named them, so it's not his fault. They're letters. He says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. I wonder if Peter, as he's writing this, is thinking to himself, Oh, and you're going to face some doozies following Jesus. I mean, Peter's gone through it. He's gone through lots of different trials. He went through the trial of Jesus and going through what all that meant and seeing his Savior die and for three days going, what the heck? And then watching him rise again and going, yay, this is it. And then he ascends and it's like, I wonder if he's coming back. You know, going through all those things. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your what? faith, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 